Good morning, Hillcrest. It's uh, good to see you. Um, I'm thankful for Pastor Jim having the opportunity to go over to our Spanish Trail campus. Grateful for that opportunity and grateful for them. Uh, we're excited uh, to continue on our Biographies of Bethlehem series uh, this morning as we are kind of looking at some of the major players in the Christmas story that's found in Scripture. So as we begin, let me say a special welcome to those watching online. I want to give a special shout out too to um, Dale Simmons and to Brian Davis. They, uh, amongst many other things they do here at church, is they maintain all of our online stuff. And uh, last week, I, it's, it was crazy, it just died halfway through the service. And they have worked uh, all week long to get up a live feed again. So we're grateful for you guys watching online and so thankful for Dale and for Brian working so hard to make that happen. So we're continuing in on this message, and for many of us, uh, for my, my family included, Christmas is always a, a favorite holiday. Uh, it's a favorite holiday in our home. Um, for my family, one of the reasons it's a favorite is because my wife loves Hallmark Christmas movies. She, she loves those things, right? You know, the one where the busy, you know, single executive has, have lo has lost sight of the meaning of Christmas and but then a Ryan Reynolds type, not actually Ryan, but budget Ryan, um, teaches her uh, the meaning of Christmas and then they kiss at midnight, right? Uh, have you seen that one? If, if you haven't and if you've seen any of them, then you've seen that one because they all end the same, right? And that's why she loves them so much. You know, uh, they always end with love winning out every time. She's like, it's, it's such a happy ending. And I was like, you know how it's gonna end. And she, I know. And so anyway, um, but for Christians, man, Christmas is the most significant love story in history. But before we get to that, I want to share a little story with you this morning. When I was in third, um, fourth grade, I have the, have the privilege today. My granddad is here this morning. I am so thankful for him and the influence he's been in my life. And uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in third fourth grade, somewhere in there. Uh, my grandparents lived out in the country. Beautiful home, lots of property. Um, he actually cut a, um, he had a garden and in the off, se is off season a thing in gardening? I don't know, forgive me, I'm not a gardener. Um, but there was, where the garden was, he cut out a little go-kart track for me. I ran go-karts out there. So I would consequently, man, as a third, fourth grader, I would go out to their house and I would just stay for weeks on, on the end, they would have to tell me to go home because I just loved being out there. It was so much fun. But as you can imagine, as a third or fourth grader, um, occasionally I would get on their nerves, right? Um, if you have a third grader in your house, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Although you won't admit it in church, we all know the truth. I have one in my house. And so, um, so my grandmother gives me this, hey, go outside and play. You know what I mean? Like that one. And so she does, except for she tells me in that moment, she says, listen, it was, this was, I don't know, mid-November or something. She says, go out in the woods and find me a Christmas tree. And here's an ax, right? <laughs> and so, you know, as we're from the old school, so that's what we did, right? But so as a third, fourth grader, I go out to the woods and uh, I'm looking around at all the trees and, I, you know, there's just a bunch of pine trees. I'm like, you can't put this inside. And then all of a sudden, it's kind of like that Clark Griswold moment where I turned and then like the lights shone. It's oh and the tree was there. I was like, that's the one, right? And so I go to work on the thing, man. I cut it down and man, I'm dragging this tree across their property. And so you can imagine her shock when I knock on the back door and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I cut down a Christmas tree, right? So she didn't have the heart to tell me no. 
And so we pull the thing inside. They had a beautiful living room, big A-frame ceilings, real tall ceilings. And so what looked like a small, beautiful tree out in the woods, when we set that thing up in their living room, it was ugly. I mean, it was horrible and it was so tall. We set the thing up and it hit the roof and then bent over. We brought in ladders from outside and still couldn't reach the top of it. So it was like a three quarters decorated tree. The rest of it just wasn't even touched, right? You could see straight through it, right? It was weird. Thankfully, there were no squirrels, but you could see it was the ugliest thing. It looked great outside, but man, when we got inside, it was, it was struggling, struggling. Can I tell you this morning, that for some people in this room, Christmas brings back some great and some super fun memories. But there are some here this morning that you are like this tree that I'm talking about. Man, you are just struggling. And Christmas brings back some just really hard memories for you. And you're just walking through a dark time right now and you feel like it's, man, it's all you can do just to get out of bed in the morning. Listen to me, regardless of where you fall on that scale, that I I hope that our time in God's word together this morning will be an encouragement to you as we study the role of the shepherds in the Christmas story. So if you have a copy of God's word, we're gonna be in Luke chapter two. Now this is possibly one of the most recognizable passages of scripture regarding the birth of Jesus. This is the third major birth announcement that Luke records for us, and it's the one that really usually gets the most press. This announcement, however, unlike the first two, is about a birth, not that was to come, but that had already taken place. And it was a birth so important that this time God sent not just a single angel, but a multitude of angels to make the announcements. And the first to hear about it were these shepherds. So let's read together, starting in verse eight. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. And they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This morning, uh, we are going to be looking at three uh, things that we can learn from the shepherd's experience here in Luke chapter two. So the first thing is this. These shepherds experienced a divine encounter marked with fear. 
Notice with me what the fir- their first response was as soon as the angels appeared. Verse 9 tells us that they were terrified. Now, before we think negative about these shepherds being afraid, let's, let's just use our imaginations for just a second. They're, they're in the middle of a field somewhere outside of Bethlehem, and they're just watching over the sheep at night. And then all of a sudden, the sky lights up with this angelic host surrounded by the glory of God. Now, one of my favorite things to do in life is scare people. I love it. I love just walking up, just hiding somewhere and jumping out and scaring them. It's even better if you can get it recorded on your phone, right? So one of my, you know, my favorite people to scare, hands down, are my two little boys. Um, obviously, you know, because I'm a good, good father. It's who I am. It's who I am. Anyway, um, I love scaring my little boys. Like, that's, I love that. It's super fun. But the other person I love to scare is our student ministry intern, Madison. And a lot of you know Madison. She is like the nicest person ever, but she is the easiest person to scare. You could just be looking at her and just jump and she will scream. It's so much fun. And I told her that I was going to talk about her up here and her, her, her response was classic. She was like, well, that's fine as long as people laugh and people get saved. And so no pressure, guys. Um, but love scaring those people. I, I just love it. It's super fun for me. But what these shepherds are experiencing here in this moment is not a startled temporary scare. No, the Bible says that they were terrified. Now, if you study scripture, you will find that their response is really not that uncommon. You see, throughout the Bible, when the divine meets humankind, humankind's response is fear. And what we see throughout scriptures is that when the divine invades human space, humanity really doesn't uh, have a list of questions that it wants answered by the divine in that moment, right? You don't, hey, glad you're here. So could you tell me about the origins of evil? Like, we don't see that at all. No, what happens is people fall to the ground greatly terrified. But the question is, why is that? Why would we as humans be so deathly afraid of an encounter with the divine? Well, it's because we know us, don't we? Like our, our gut reaction to the divine showing up in our lives is always like a negative payback reaction. We, we, just, we just know, right? We, we know who we are when no one's around. We, we know how we think. We know what's in our hearts. We, we know what we are projecting. We know how how often we feel like frauds. And so naturally, if the divine is showing up, surely he's there to give us what we are due, right? That's how so many times we feel, except in the coming of Jesus. Because this angel shows up, not with a sword, but with good news of great joy. You see, when God intervenes here in this space, he comes driving out fear. Not establishing fear, but driving it out. And that's why the angel responds immediately with, do not be afraid. Those are the same exact words that was given to Zechariah. It were the same words given to Mary. And as we studied last week, it was the same exact words given to Joseph. Jesus came to drive out fear and replace it with good news that brings great joy. 
But what is the good news that brings great joy? Well, it's the gospel, right? But for the gospel to mean anything, the good news has to be defined. And the good news, of course, centered on the birth of a, of a child who was named Jesus. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And listen, if you want a simple definition of the gospel, that's it, right? Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God has acted in love to deliver us from the bondage and penalty of sin unto a right relationship with himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ, his divine son. And as we see from these shepherds, the good news is meant to be shared. You see, they may have been the first ones to hear this message, but they weren't the last to receive it. But listen, they had a choice. They had a choice, right? They could allow themselves to be crippled by fear or they could obey. And as we read earlier, the shepherds obeyed and they did so immediately. Listen, there's a lesson in this for all of us, especially, uh, especially those who are chained to fear. We need to let this example set by these shepherds' divine encounter, we need to, to let that set an example for us to do hard things. Do hard things. Choose the good news that brings great joy because here's the deal. Delayed obedience, regardless of the excuse, is still obedience. Good news of great joy over fear. Joy over fear. Joy over fear. Just continue to remind yourself of that. Joy over fear. The second thing that we can learn from the shepherd's experience is this. The shepherds experienced a divine plan marked with purpose. Now it's very important for us to remember that the gift of Jesus is really not about us at all. Right? It's about the glorification of God. We are just the beneficiaries of his glory. You know, we see this at the, at the very beginning when the angels praise God at creation. And now fast forward now, we're seeing the angels praise him at the new creation. But the whole purpose of the plan of salvation is glory to God in the highest. You remember back in the Old Testament, God's glory, it dwelt in the tabernacle. And then it dwelt in the temple. And then we are told in Ezekiel that due to the nation's sin, that the glory departed. But now God's glory was returning to earth in the person of his son. So that lowly manger was a holy of holies because Jesus was there. In verse 11, we read just a second ago, we, we are given one of the great sentences of, uh, of Christology in Scripture. Christology is the, the branch of theology uh, that relates to the person, nature, and role of Christ. And in verse 11, we are given three great titles coming together in the one person called Jesus. The first title we're given there is that Jesus is the Savior. And listen, when it, when it comes to presenting, presenting Jesus as Savior, nobody does it better than Luke. The words mean to deliver from danger or enemies, and the very concept is bound up in Jesus' name. Ye Yeshua means the Lord is salvation. 
You know, Jesus came to deliver us from sin, to deliver us from the wrath of God, to deliver us from death. And of course, he accomplished all of this by dying on the cross as our divinely provided substitute because he is our savior. Also, we see that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, which means the anointed one. The prophets of, of Israel had been forecasting the coming of a deliverer for centuries, a deliverer who would indeed save them from their enemies and those that who would do harm to them. And so Jesus is the one who was to come, the anointed deliverer that God had promised to deliver and to restore them. So, so Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the Messiah, but also Jesus is the Lord. And this is really the title that most closely connects Jesus with God, and it's the first time that it's connected with the title Christ. And what Luke is saying is that Jesus is the Lord God himself, that Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe, possessing the very authority of heaven and earth. And what the angel is communicating to the shepherds is that this baby born in Bethlehem is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies in human flesh. Because he's the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, and he is Christ the Lord, God in human flesh. And we are told that the shepherds hurried to find Mary and this newborn baby lying in the manger exactly as the angel said it would be, and they found him. And listen, don't miss this. It changed their lives forever. Because after finding the baby, they reported the good news to everyone. And then we read in verse 20 that the angels went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And I don't want you to miss that. They went back glorifying God. Listen, make no mistake about it. God sent Jesus to earth to eventually die for us in our place because he loved us. But listen, we are not the central figures of salvation. God is. He's the central figure. Anytime that we place ourselves as the centerpiece, we shift the focus from him to us. Salvation is about his glory through us. And the shepherds worshiped him and they marveled at God's grace and goodness and they truly understood glory to God in the highest. In other words, it was rightly placed worship. You know, I, I love my wife more than anything or anyone on this planet. Love her. She's the best. She's the best. She, you know, I mean, it's why I watch the Hallmark Christmas movies with her, right? She loves them, which means I do too. And men, like, if your wife loves the movies, watch them with her, right? Like, I, I do that because I love her. But can I tell you something? Whereas my wife is a really good gift of God's grace to me, she's a terrible God. She's a terrible God. She will not be able to satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. And I know if you're a big Jerry Maguire fan right now, you're like, oh, bro, this is super confusing to me. Listen, she doesn't complete me. She doesn't. She's a good gift of God's grace to me. She's a great partner in ministry. She's my best friend, but she's a terrible God. 
And you know what else? I'm a terrible God for her. I love my boys, my two sons, man, love them to death. They're amazing, but they're terrible little gods. I love my job, right? Work is a good gift from God. It makes a terrible God. Stuff always makes a terrible God. So it's happening in this moment. Part of the good news is that worship is being rightly ordered so that the things that we put our hope in, the things that we trust in, the things that we go to to find satisfaction in our souls that time and time and time again show themselves to be bankrupt, these things are now exposed in the light of the coming Jesus. So we are now glory to God in the highest. We now have an establishment of where the soul will find its satisfaction and true belonging and true healing can actually be walked in. Glory to God in the highest. And listen, no one will be able to bear the weight of your hope. No one will be able to bear the weight of your hope. A sure way to crush your marriage is to ask your spouse to save you. A true way to make your kids resent you is to ask them to validate you. A sure way to have no concept of life once you retire is to put your work as your God. But Jesus steps in and he says, hey, my shoulders are broad. In fact, all of the governments of the earth will be on my shoulders. I can take your hope. And that's what's happening here. There's a reordering of worship around what's right and what's strong enough and what's good. And the shepherds understood their purpose. And finally, the shepherds experienced a divine calling marked by assigned value. You know, there's something really special about the avenue that God chose to announce the birth of Jesus. You see, of all the people in the world, God sent the angelic messengers to shepherds. Like, that's totally not what we would have done, right? We'd have been, he's, he's God, like definitely a king should be making this announcement, someone, but no, the shepherds, this is a big deal because shepherds, were the lowest class in Israel. They, they were um, considered poor. They were uneducated. They were dirty. I was talking to Dr. Barlow just a little earlier this morning, and you know, Dr. Barlow, if you don't know him, he knows everything and everyone. He actually knows shepherds. Like, anybody else in here know a shepherd? Like, I've never met one, but of course he knows one. And so he's telling me, he said, listen, man, shepherds, they just, they, they hang out with sheep all day long. They smell like they just smell like the sheep there's no it's not like they go and get showers like they're just with them all day these are these were dirty people listen to this they were so despised that jewish law said their testimony wouldn't even count in court they were outcasts they had no future prospects they had no hope yet god made the announcement to them i mean isn't that crazy you see, in, in, in our economy, the wealthy and the powerful get first place in line. But that's not how it works in God's economy. You see, in God's economy, it's the broken and it's the remorseful. It's the outcast who get the good news first, who get to see Jesus 
with their own eyes. This is the economy of God and it's shocking and it's unseemly. God with us, Emmanuel. Driving out fear with good news, driving out the questions of am I good enough, driving out the questions of can I be loved, do I matter, driving out fear with his love, showing up in all power and might, reordering our affections so that glory to God in the highest becomes our motto. And then from there, we see this profound sense of God's desire to pull in from the least of these, those he will call sons and daughters. I love how Paul says it in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 26. He says, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes and powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. And listen, that's why the shepherd's role was so vitally important. Because through them, God was declaring that he came not for those who have a proud sense of accomplishment, but for those who have an acute sense of their need. And this means that Christmas has a very special message in it for those whose lives are currently filled with despair and hard times. To, to the one who's struggling with cancer and has just found out that they're not going into remission, there is something for you of profound hope in the birth of Jesus. To those who feel a suffocating sense of despair this year because it's the first Christmas without a loved one, you'll look around the table and you'll see an empty place where a loved one used to sit to the one who was devastated by divorce this year, to the one who lost a job and is not sure how things are going to work out in this coming year, to, to the one overwhelmed with regret for bad decisions they have made and feeling the weight of condemnation before God. Listen, the birth of this baby has a profound message in it for you, and that message is this, God came for you. God came for you. And ultimately, our reaction is to be the same that the shepherds had when said, Oh, come, let us adore him. Because the Son of God, born into the depths of poverty and pain for you, because there was no other way to save you. You remember the Christmas tree I was telling you about earlier? Well, the part that I didn't tell you is that my grandmother uh, went to be with Jesus several years ago. But until the day that she died, she said that that was her favorite Christmas tree. You know why it was her favorite Christmas tree? Not because of what it looked like, but because of who cut it down and put it in her house. And listen, guys, I just want you to get this, that you have been rescued not because of what you've looked like, 
but because of whose you are. There's a survey that was done that asked the question in the Christmas story, who do you most identify with? The results of this survey was not Mary, it it wasn't Joseph, it, it wasn't the wise men, it was the shepherds. And church, may may we let the same spirit that flooded the hearts of these shepherds as they fell down before him and adored him, may that wash over us. Because listen to me, you matter. If you are in this room, if you're watching online, if you are breathing right now, you matter. And the birth of Jesus proves it. You matter. And so as we close up this morning, listen, just like these shepherds, you are about to return to your flock. So what's your response? What's your response? I challenge you to set your response at praising God and glorifying him and sharing that. And maybe you're here this morning and you are scared to death and you know that you've been disobedient because of some of that fear. Listen, I challenge you to choose joy over fear. Joy over fear. Or maybe today you've realized that there's some misplaced worship in your lives. I challenge you to fix that today. Or maybe you're just like these shepherds and you're just, man, you just feel like you are not good enough. And you have just really struggled with your self-worth. You matter. So may you join the shepherds and experience the freedom that only Jesus Christ is going to put in place and give in your life.